Hey, V1 Church, this is a lead pastor, Mike Signorelli, and I wanna thank you for tuning in to this episode because we are starting a series on the book of Romans. Yes, we're going deep this summer through all of Beaches, and I'm so excited for you to hear chapters one through four with Kiel. So um, Romans is gonna be a little bit different than Galatians where we read the full chapter because there's only six chapters, right? So Romans is 16 chapters. Uh, so if we spent the whole time reading, we'd not talk about anything else. So what we're going to do is instead we're going to talk about some, uh, themes and some, uh, ideas that come from, come from Romans. Um, can you look at your neighbor and say, you're going to get free today. Okay. Now look at your other neighbor and say, you're getting free too. Yes. Yes. That's good. Um, so, um, okay. So Romans is about the righteousness that we receive from God through Jesus. So it's justification through Jesus. Thank you so much. <clears throat> we have the greatest team here. They serve so well. The dream team, all the people on the cameras, the stage hands, everyone doing the lights. They're so amazing. I love them so much. Um, so, all right. So last night I was practicing my message and, um, at like 6 p.m., I realized, oh, this, this is not, this, this ain't my message. So I deleted the whole thing and rewrote it. So you guys are in for a ride today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, so the other thing to note about Romans is that it's a very meaty book. Or for the vegans, it's a very portobello mushroomy book. <laughs> Let's just take a second. <laughs> And acknowledge how bad that joke was, but I like compulsively had to tell it. All right. So <clears throat> what's an, another interesting fact about Romans is that it's used in law schools to um, be an example of a, a good legal case. So Paul makes a legal case on our behalf. So where um, God is the judge and we're the defendant. And it's such a compelling case that it's actually used to teach upcoming lawyers how to prove a case. Isn't that interesting? So um, we're going to cover the first section of Romans. Um, just for the sake of time, we're going to go right into it. So uh, Paul is talking to the Roman church. The Roman church is, um, he hasn't been there yet. So he's addressing them, he's writing to them, and he's establishing his authority that was given to him by Jesus to teach the gospel. And um, he's just addressing, so they're in, in the Roman church, there are Greeks and there are Jews, right? And so in this particular portion of scripture, he's going to talk to the Jews in the Roman church. So starting at verse uh, 25 of chapter 2, it says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, um, first off, guys, I know we've been talking a lot about circumcision. I am sorry. We're just one more week, I promise. 
Uh, let me break down what Paul's saying here. So Paul's saying that these people were operating under the law, but without the heart of the law, right? So they were, um, they're doing it to seek approval from man and from God through the act of circumcision. So uh, the history, though, of circumcision is that Abraham was commanded to be circumcised. It was introduced to him to set him apart as a worshiper of the one true God. It was a prophetic symbol and a demonstration of obedience. So in Genesis 17, God tells Abraham, circumcise yourself, everyone in your household, and your slaves as an everlasting covenant in your flesh. So it was a sign that these people were devoted or set apart or consecrated is the word that we sometimes use to God, right? So the problem with the Jews that Rome, in the Roman church that Paul was addressing was that they had taken the heart, the prophetic purpose behind the circumcision and decided that they were going to believe that if, the, if, if I did the act alone, if I got circumcised, that makes me righteous. Are you guys with me? I know this is a lot. Are you with me? Okay. So <clears throat> circumcision itself became the measure of someone's obedience or holiness. So what God was really communicating to Abraham was a circumcision of the heart. It wasn't a circumcision of the body. The act wasn't the point. So it symbolized a casting off of the flesh and a setting apart of God to God and God alone. And the, the ironic part is that the Jews, the way that they were operating in it, as they were pointing to the flesh completely, instead of casting off the flesh, which was the original intent of circumcision in the first place. You with me? So <clears throat> the Pharisees of this time were always judging, right? So when Jesus walked on the earth, we know that there were the Pharisees, they were the religious, the religious Jewish people. And um, they were always judging others. They were using the law as a way to prove to everyone around them that they were holy, right? And in fact, it says in the Bible that they, like, they were so extra when they were fasting, right? They, they would like, you know, wet their brow and make it look like they were sweating and they'd be really dramatic and they'd be like, oh, holy is God. I'm, I'm so holy. I'm fasting. <laughs> extra, extra. Y'all know some of you do that too. Don't lie. So <clears throat> you'll always miss God when your focus is the approval of man. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. You're always going to miss the presence of God when your focus is on the approval of man. Right? Some of you are wondering why you're not experiencing more of God's love. And the re reason is because you're chasing the love of men. You're chasing approval. You're chasing approval from people. Right? So we can relate to this, right? We, we follow the rules well. If we worship the right way, if we lift our hands the right way, if we read our Bible the right way, if we pray the right way, if we tithe the right amount, if we wear the right thing to church on Sunday morning, if we don't wear too much makeup and don't curse, then we're holy, right? And so we'll walk around and be like, oh, no, I don't, I don't do that because I'm a Christian. Right? That's, you're a Pharisee. We're Pharisees when we do that. 
We think that if we follow the rules that we can be closer to God, that we can get his approval, that we can earn our own justification. It becomes like a, just a bunch of empty religious practices. But then we say, why isn't God moving in my life? Why am I not being transformed? Why don't I feel anything? And I, I hear people say all the time, I'm doing all the right things. You know, I, I'm a life coach and counselor, and so I'll, I'll be talking to my clients sometimes, and I'll be like, so you see this? This is, you know, I'll pull it out and say, this is the problem. And they'll go, oh, okay, what do I do? And I laugh every time because they're thinking that there's like a, a law you can slap on it. There's a rule, there's a ritual that you can slap on it and fix the problem. Right? So now don't raise your hand, but I know some of you have experienced this before. I know it because I can feel it in the room. Like the Jews that Paul was addressing, the things that were meant to set us apart, like reading our Bible and tithing and not cursing, which, by the way, we should all do. And if you stop, Pastor Mike will come after me, so don't stop. They, they, become, they become practices in religion. They become traditions that are void of heart completely. Are you guys with me this morning? It's very quiet in here. So is it okay if I share a little bit about my own story here? Okay. So like the Jews, <clears throat> I had a very similar experience. So I grew up as a middle child. Shout out to all my middle children in here. Yeah, middle children unite. Um, I, big personalities in my family, like big, right? And obviously mine's pretty big, but you know, as a middle child, I would choose to shrink back um, in an effort to not make the big personalities bigger. Um, so I, I often felt overlooked because I, I, didn't, I just didn't draw a lot of attention. And I did it on purpose. So, but then I would feel overlooked. because So this is like the, the mind of, for all you people who are not middle children, this is the mind of the middle child. So <clears throat> I, I realized that I just, I, maybe I needed a lot of approval or I'm not sure, but I just never got enough. I just never felt approved of. So I started to notice that I would get approval when I did something really well. So I became a straight A student. I was all state musician, all state singing. I toured with a dance company. I had my first solo at four years old. Right? I, I started to work, and I, and I realized when I do those things, I feel loved. I feel approved of. I get affirmation. I get attention. And so I would do them not because I wanted to learn or be good at anything or have the experience. I did them as a, a method of gaining approval. Can anybody relate to that? So I, I was scared that if I stopped dancing or if I stopped singing or if I stopped performing for love, literally, that the approval would be withdrawn from me. The love would be withdrawn from me. So 
this is like a story that I created in my own head, right? This is probably not truth, but this was my experience. And so the way that I received that experience was that I have to work for love. It isn't free. So as I got older, I developed my own personal relationship with God. And naturally, I began interacting with him in the same way. So I would perform for his love if I read enough of the Bible every day and if I prayed enough every day and if I begged him for things and if I volunteered my time and if I tithed all my money and I did everything at the right place at the right time and I said all the right things, then maybe God would love and approve of me. I mean, obviously, right? Like, clearly, I have complete control over how much the God of the universe loves me by my actions. Like, how arrogant is that? We think we're being, like, humble, right? But the thing about humility is that false humility is actually pride. False humility is actually still about me. It's still all about me. So... <clears throat> every time something would go wrong, I would come up against like a difficult circumstance. I, I'd immediately say to God, what, what did I do wrong, God? What did I do? Did I, do? did I mess up here? Did I sin here? Did I, should I not have said that word? I, I don't know what to do. I, 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 did I fail the test? I honestly believed that love was dependent on my behaviors and was conditional on how well I performed. I actually, I, I actually believed that somehow I could measure up, I could earn, right? So, so when we work for love, we're saying, if I do this, 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 and this, then God will come and he'll, he'll pay me for that transaction with love. So love stops being love and it starts, be, it starts to become a, a, a transaction. Can I get a little raw with you this morning? That's prostitution. When we work for love, we are pimping ourselves out. So one day I was in um, at ministry school and I had this, this sweetest... I, she was like a mother to me. I, I loved her so much. She was um, an English woman. She's my pastor for the year. And I, I, ten, I just happened to have a very special relationship with her. And so um, I left myself very open to her feedback. And she came up to me one day and she said, Hey, Kiel. Oh, my British is not good, so we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> hey, Kiel. She said, Hey, Kiel. I'd love if you stopped chasing the rain and just lay down in it. And she said, your justification, your approval, the love of God, it's already here. You don't have to run after it. You don't have to work for it. He's not paying you for a transaction. You don't have to manipulate for it, chase it. It's a free gift. He's giving it to you freely. I was still working for it. I was still working for that love. I was still performing for that love. Think about if somebody bought you a birthday present. 
And you said, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up some extra hours at work and I'll pay you back for it. It's ridiculous. That's not love. Is this resonating with you guys? Yeah. So it's like a little kid saying, Dad, guess what? I mowed the lawn. Do you love me now? God, I did my chores. Do you, lo do you approve of me now? Gosh, if that, was, if that was the way it worked, we would all be in trouble. Because who's to say what's good enough? Who's to say what measure is good enough? Like, when do we stop from not good enough to good enough? Where's that line, right? Okay, so <clears throat> is it okay if um, I walk you guys through an encounter? I know that's a weird Christian word. I'm just going to have you close your eyes and visualize something. So that's what that word means. All right, so I want you to close your eyes. Take a couple of deep breaths. Get comfortable. Okay. So I want you to imagine that you're in your living room. And it's messy. There are dirty clothes everywhere. There's dirty dishes on the coffee table. You haven't taken a shower all day. You're laying on the couch watching a movie. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks in. And you're like, oh my gosh, Je Jesus just walked in and my house is such a mess. Oh my gosh, let me fix it up. And you're like, Jesus, uh, hey, I'm so sorry. If you just, just give me one second and I'll clean up this mess and then I'll come back and we can... Chat, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry about the mess. And Jesus looks you square in your eyes. And he says, I have not come here for a clean living room. I have come to be with my child. I've come here to be with you. I don't care about this mess. I don't care how you present yourself. Sit down on the couch with me for a while. And you know what? In a little while, after we hang out, I'll help you clean up the mess. I'll help you organize your closets. I'll help you clean your clothes. I'll help you do the dishes. But right now, why don't you just come be with me first? You know, the truth is, sweet one, that if you never did another thing again, if you never cleaned your house again, my love for you would not change. You see, it's love first. It's approval first. The works, the transformation, the fruit of our lives to make us look more like Jesus come from the love, not for the love, right? They come from the love first and then they move into transformation. We cannot work for love because nothing we do is good enough for God. We are filthy rags. And we think that somehow our, our offering, our sacrifice, our, you know, our striving for approval is gonna make us good enough. 
when God is saying, I'm giving it to you for free. It's like rejecting God when we say, when he says, here's the gift. And you're like, yeah, I, you know what? I haven't done enough for that yet. So let me come back for it in a little while. It's rejection of the love of God. It's rejection of the free gift. So I want to, I want to, I'm going to really drive this point home today. I promise. So what I want to do is I want to read in chapter three. Um, We're just going to jump right into verse nine. So Paul is basically proving the point that I'm making that says, uh, well, Paul made the point first, obviously. (laughs) He's proving the point that I'm making that says that we we actually, we think we can work for love, but we shouldn't. We actually can't work for love. So he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and all the peace they have not known, all and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what Paul is saying is that we are filthy animals, basically. We're unrighteous, we're unworthy, we're sinful, we're broken. We don't deserve what he's doing. And in verse 20, it says that the law that we thought is going to justify us actually just exposes our sin. The law that we thought is going to make us righteous before the law, the Lord, actually only points to our need for a Savior. It points to our need for Jesus. So when it goes on, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, I don't want to be known as somebody that works for love. I don't want to be known as somebody that has religious practices and fulfills all the right rules and looks good on the outside and is empty on the inside. I know you don't either. I know that's not what we want as humans. Our desire, our innate desire is to to know and be known by our Father in heaven. I believe that we are going to be a church of people that are living fully in everything God's called us to be because we encounter love first and then works. 
So Paul's saying we're all broken and depraved, we're completely unworthy of forgiveness, and yet when we choose faith in Jesus, we're still justified. All we have to do is choose faith in Jesus? I don't have to fix up my living room? I don't have to clean up the dishes? I don't have to clean out my closet? All I have to do is have faith in Jesus? It's scandalous. It's scandalous. It is a free gift that we do not deserve. It's scandalous. Justification means that the full weight of my sin and the punishment for that sin that I fully deserve gets completely pardoned. And God takes it on himself and says, hey, let me carry this for you. And, and while we're at it, let's come be with me for a while. So Jesus stepped into my place. He was crucified in a fashion that only the most depraved criminal, criminals got crucified at the time. On my behalf, for my sin. And then he says, so I'm not just gonna forgive you of your sin, that's mercy, right? But by the grace, I'm gonna give you a lot of things you don't deserve. You don't deserve to live a life in my presence, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. I'm gonna give you more than you could ask or imagine like Brie was talking about before. I'm gonna give you freedom. I'm gonna give you breakthrough. I'm gonna give you family. I'm gonna give you a community of people in Long Island that will love you and watch you and cheer for you as you move toward your destiny. That's what I'm gonna do. So I, I find you not guilty by faith. Not guilty because you chose faith over works. Imagine you're standing before a judge and your crime calls for immediate death. And the judge looks at you and says, I pardon you. We're not gonna put you to death. We're gonna give you life and life abundantly instead. We're gonna take that, we're gonna take the responsibility of that crime we're gonna hold it for you while you go out and be set free. That, that is, that is grace. That's what the approval of God looks like. The approval of God doesn't come from me being perfect. The approval of God comes from me choosing him. What I have to do is choose him. That's all I have to do is choose God. Does that make anybody feel freer today? Come on, can you stand with me? The good news of the gospel is that all I need to do is choose Jesus. And he does everything else for us. He sets us apart. He heals our hearts. He gives us freedom. He teaches us how to live. He gives us the grace to live the life that he's calling us to live. Grace literally means empowerment to live like Jesus lived. Does it make anyone feel free that they, have, they can stop performing today? That you can stop trying to be perfect? That you can stop trying to have it all together? That you can stop earning
love that you can stop pimping yourself out and receive today. I can stop trying to be perfect. I can stop trying to earn the love of God. I'm gonna, I just believe that today is the day that we stop paying for a free gift. Are you with me? We're gonna stop paying for a free gift. I am so tired of seeing people in the church who know who they are, still working for love, still working for approval, still looking to seek approval from other people. You are the daughter and the son of a king who has given you a free gift. Receive it today. So in my power, I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. Without grace, I have literally, I'm literally doomed, right? Without the gift that he's given me, I am doomed. So he made this way. The way is named Jesus. Jesus is the way to righteousness and justification. He sent Jesus to our deserved and certain death so that we could receive the approval of God. And there are some of you in here who have been living like an orphan when you have a father in heaven. And today is the day that that's gonna stop. Are you with me? Who is ready to get free of performance today? I want you to raise your hand, eyes open. Raise your hand if you're ready to get free of performance today. I'm gonna pray for you right now. Jesus, I pray that you would break off all the chains of performance, that you would break off all the shackles of, of, of working for approval and seeking approval of man, God, that you would break the fear of man right now in the name of Jesus. God, I declare that today is the day that each person in this room understands that they have received a free gift, God, and that they would choose to live that free gift out, God, with you. In Jesus' name, can we lift up a shout of praise? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So there's, there's one more group of people in here, and that group of people who are the people who have never received Jesus for the first time, who have never said, I'm going to choose my justification through faith. And if, and if today you want to walk from death to life, you want to walk from performance to approval, I want you to raise your hand. God. Okay. So church, let's pray this in solidarity with them today. We believe that if we, um, we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that God will take our sin, he'll take our burden and he'll give us freedom. And so God, so I want you to say, Jesus, thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for justifying me through faith. Right now I receive the free gift and I choose to surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Lift up a shout of praise. Come on, let's praise him. Wasn't that an incredible message? I'm sure that your life was impacted. We've already received so many testimonies. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Share this podcast episode with someone, tag them in the comments, give us five stars, and we'll see you next week.